Uh, if you've not been with us, we, we are doing a little uh, four-week kind of mini-series in the Lord's Prayer, talking about the Lord's Prayer. And we'll continue that today. Last Sunday, we did the second little phrase in there, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about the kingdom of God and what it means to pray for the kingdom of God to come into the current situation that we're in today. And if you weren't here and you missed that, I would highly recommend that you listen to the podcast. I think it might be one of the best messages you've ever heard anywhere in the world. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Uh, but we're going to continue today with the next section of that prayer. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Let us pray. Lord, thanks so much for uh, just a beautiful day today and just the spring weather. We're so happy when the sun comes out. Thank you for new friends and old friends and the opportunity to worship you and to look into your word today. Uh, just enlighten our hearts, Lord. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts so we might see into what you have for us, who you are, and all that you mean. In your name we pray, amen. All righty. Give us each day our daily bread. Uh, you know, kind of on, on the surface level, that uh, appears to be a simple prayer for provision. Give us our daily bread. Um, bread, of course, is symbolic. We understand that doesn't mean just bread, but it's, it's uh, our daily needs. Give us what we need. It, give us our food, clothing, shelter, the things that we need to live a comfortable and secure life. Um, and I would say... On, on one level, it, it is that. It is a prayer for provision. However, uh, I believe that there is much more here than meets the eye. And that this is very much a kingdom prayer. It is, it is a continuation of what we looked at last week. We prayed about the kingdom of God coming into our lives. And we talked about that primarily in the realm of healing, in the realm of freedom from oppression, um, this is a prayer for kingdom provision to come into our lives. And the key to this little phrase is the word daily. Uh, and I got the Greek there for you. The, the Greek word is epiousius, which is really fun to say. Let's say that together, okay? Epiousius. Let's try, no, that wasn't very good. Do it again. Epiousius, yeah. So, it's an interesting word. It, it, it's the only time it's used in Scripture, and frankly, uh, not used very often in other uh, ancient writings. Some scholars, I don't know, believe that the gospel writers actually created this word for this prayer. It doesn't really mean daily in the sense that we think of daily. It really means for the coming day, the next day, the approaching day. It really means... Uh, when we say, last week we talked about the kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven, it's really that same prayer. It's the bread of heaven tomorrow, today. It's really praying for tomorrow's bread today. It's praying for the provision that we'll know in heaven now. See, in heaven we'll be provided for. In heaven, we'll have all of our needs met. In heaven, there won't be half a million people in the state of Oregon who are food insecure, half of which are children. 250,000 kids wake up in this state, our state, every day and not know where their next meal is coming from. In heaven, there won't be 4,000 people sleeping under bridges in our city. In heaven, everything will be taken. In heaven, no one will be underemployed. 
See, people come to us for food every week, and people, you know, sometimes callous will say, well, why don't you just get a job? Well, the reality is a lot of those folks have jobs, but they're working at a wage level that doesn't allow them to meet their bills in heaven. None of that will exist. It'll all be gone. Everything will be met. And that is what Jesus is asking us to pray for now, for that provision that we'll know in heaven with him today in this reality. That's what this is a prayer for. So yes, it's a prayer for provision, but it's a prayer for God's provision. To me, and I'm going to be, I'm going to get a little bit honest today, and I, if, if I offend you, so be it. I, I think this presents a unique, a unique challenge for us, and I don't mean us here today, I mean us in America in general. Because most of us are not food insecure. Most of us are probably thinking right now where we're going to go get lunch after this meeting. Most of us aren't going to sleep under a bridge tonight. We're going to go home and sleep in our comfy, posturpedic mattress. Most of us have some job, probably, and some source of income and some ability to provide for ourselves. And sure, look, let's, we'd all like a few more bucks, wouldn't we? I know I would. But the reality is that by and large, we're fairly well provided for. And so the challenge is this, how do I pray with any kind of integrity, give me my daily bread when my bread is already in the cupboard at home? If we're going to pray this prayer authentically, and here's what I think it means, it's that no matter how much we have, we have got to understand that we need the provision of God just as much as somebody who doesn't have anything at all. Amen? Wealth creates the illusion of security. We think we're okay. We're okay. I have a savings account. I, I, have, a, I, I have an IRA or a 401k or a 403b or a 409z or something. Um, I have a good job. I have what I need, and so I'm okay. I have the illusion of security, but that's really not secure, is it? In 2008, thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this country lost their 401ks. Thousands and thousands more lost their homes. How many times have you heard this story? I know a guy, and he was working for this company for 35 years and two years from retirement, and they let him go. It's not secure. Nothing in this life is secure. It's, it's all fake. The only security we have comes from Him. What happens when I realize that my security is in God and God alone is that my, my heart becomes thankful. I no longer think, well, I'm doing a good job. I think, thank you, Jesus, because you're taking care of me. My heart gets filled with gratitude. And I'm thankful for what I have. And I'm thankful for what I know God will do. And so I want us to just consider today, when we see injustice and when we see poverty and when we see some of the realities that are really becoming epidemic in our society today, that we begin to take hold of the prayer that Jesus said to pray and say, Lord, Bring your daily bread, bring your provision, your kingdom into this situation now. The second part of this 
Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive our sin. We forgive everyone who sins against. How, how does that? How does that really work? Because it, 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 it sounds to me like, and, and you guys can tell me what you think. It sounds to me like he's saying that my being forgiven is somewhat contingent upon my willingness to forgive other people. And, and let's be honest, there are a number of scriptures like this, a number of places. Uh, when, I, if you could see what I could see, you would laugh too. Hi, baby. <laughs> You're so stinking cute, and I'm so, I can't help it. Um, there's a number of places that Jesus says similar kinds of things. Matthew 7, do not judge, you too will be judged. Same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, if I... It, If I judge, I'll be judged. If I don't judge, I won't be judged. If I forgive, I'll be forgiven. If I don't forgive, I won't be forgiven, right? Right? Is that what we just read? Is that how it works? (laughs) You guys, we don't know. No, that was a trick question. What about that whole saved by grace thing? What about unmerited favor? What about unconditional love? What about, I I, I just come to God and he receives me. What about that? How does that fit with this? There there is a a paradigm, there is a way of thinking, I believe, in our culture. That is, we have taken it on through culture and through teaching. And it's a a legal lens. We, We look at life through a legal lens and through a legal paradigm. We tend to think legally, and, and by and large, in, in society in general, that's okay. You're, you know, you, we have to, to some degree. But as a way to read Scripture, I think it's flawed. And our, but our culture sort of has that mindset to it. And then I, I think historically in the church, we've been taught to think that way as well, dating all the way back to second century Tertullian, one of the church fathers who wrote uh, you know, a, a lot about Christian faith and life, was a lawyer. He was a lawyer who was converted to Christianity, and he wrote from a legal perspective. He moved forward into the Reformation, and John Calvin was a lawyer who was converted to Christianity. And he wrote from a very legal perspective. Legal thinking, how does it work? It's kind of like this, quid pro quo, right? Something for something. You do this, you get that, right? That's how it works. You don't do this, you don't get that. And I believe that that legal thinking has infiltrated our thinking about salvation and Christianity. You know, example number one is the whole salvation by, as fire insurance sort of mindset. If I pray this prayer, I don't go to hell, right? That's, that's what we were told. If you're old, if you're my age, you were told that in the 70s. Pray this prayer, and you, you, you won't go to hell. So, look, I'm not the smartest guy on the block, but that's a good deal. If I, if I say these words right now, I don't go to hell? Yeah, I'll take that. That's a good deal. But that's legal thinking. You do this, you don't have to go there. How many young adults, how many teenagers have I talked to that want to know, how far is too far? I know I'm not supposed to fornicate, but what can I get away with? It's legal thinking. If we judge others, God judges us. If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. Now, let me say parenthetically, I, there is a legal dimension to our salvation. There, there, there is a prosecuting judge. We are guilty defendants. Jesus is our advocate. There is a, there is a dynamic 
that fits. But what I'm saying is, as a paradigm, as a, as a way of viewing Scripture, as a way of understanding our life in Christ, I think it's not only not right, but it's not helpful. The New Testament does not see our salvation or our forgiveness in legal terms at all. It sees them in relational terms. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. It's about having a, an authentic relationship, okay? And that's how relationship works, right? We... we, we, we it, it, I love you, I love you too. I'm sorry, I forgive you. There's a, there's a dynamic of, of just relationship there. It's not about having a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's about relating in a real way and just being honest with one another. These passages do not describe an appointment with our parole officer. They describe what a covenantal relationship looks like. Jesus also said, Freely you have received... Freely give. I've received the forgiveness of God. So because of that, I want to forgive freely. Look, God pours his life into us, and we receive it. And the more we receive of it, the greater our capacity to then give it. Okay? It flows in, and it flows out. It flows in, and it flows out. If it flows in and it doesn't flow out, what happens? Think of a river. The water's flowing, it's clean and fresh, you stick your toes in, it feels so good. If you've been hiking and backpacking in the mountains, you might even dip your cup right in that water and take a drink, right? But if it gets stopped up and it flows and it stops, it swirls around and around and it gets stagnant and it gets yucky and pretty soon it stinks. It's not so good. You can't separate the two. See, forgiveness is not conditional. It, it's, it's a natural response of being forgiven. When we refuse to forgive, it blocks our capacity to receive forgiveness, and we become spiritually constipated. Nobody wants that. I want to say this. Hear me on this. I think it's impossible... To, to receive and experience the fullness of forgiveness in Christ if we don't forgive. It's impossible to receive and experience and understand the fullness of forgiveness. Until I forgive others, I can't fully understand what it means for me to be forgiven and the release of that. Said if I offend anybody, so be it. But let me just say, it's not about you. And, and I'm going to be really honest and say it's not about you and God. It's about God and everybody else and how you fit into that. And we cannot escape that. We cannot remove ourselves from that. If you're offering your gift at the altar, let's put this in practical terms that we can understand today. If you come to worship... And there you remember your brother or sister has something against you. Don't go to worship. Leave. Go and be reconciled to your brother and sister first, and then come back to worship. That's how this works. If you're going to come into worship, 
and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you or you have something against them, you need to go clean that up before you come to worship or your worship really isn't validated. I'm going to tell you, I, I think we need to break free from this whole Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior thing. Let me be honest. First of all, it's not biblical. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. What does it say? For God so loved who? The world. I'm somebody in the world. It's incomplete. How many of you ever heard this? If you were the only person that ever lived, Jesus would have died for you. How many of you heard that? Let's play that out. Let's just play with that for a minute. I'm the only person that ever lived and Jesus died for me. So what happens? I get saved and I go to heaven and there I am with Jesus by myself. What fun is that? Really, I'm serious. I'm kind of thinking the whole every tongue, every tribe, every nation thing, all those voices, all those languages, worshiping God together, that to me sounds pretty awesome. Me standing there in heaven worshiping, that doesn't sound that awesome. I don't sing very good. I don't want to listen to my voice for eternity. I'm just saying. You don't go to heaven by yourself. Unforgiveness is bad, okay? Can we just put that on the table? Unforgiveness is bad. It blocks everything good that God has for us. In Luke's gospel, he uses the word debt there. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And and I don't know how often we, we really think in those terms of sin and debt kind of being the same thing, but this really is a very good way to, to look at this, it's, 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 it's like forgiving a debt. Forgiveness is like letting a debt go. Somebody owes you money, and you just say, I don't, you don't have to pay it back. Forget it. It's done. It's over. Keep it. Even, even if it's justified. Maybe somebody did something wrong to you. Maybe they did something really, really, really bad. And you say, I'm going to let it go. And why? Why would we do that? Here's why. I'll tell you why. Because at the core of our being, our identity is as a child of God, as a daughter, a son of God, and there is nothing that anyone can ever do to take that away from you. Nobody can take that away from you. Nothing, no matter how bad it is that anybody ever does, can take that away from you. And if you understand that, and if you carry that as who you are, then you're free to forgive. Who's going to do worship at the end? Whoever I want? I pick? Rachel? (laughs) She didn't volunteer. Come on up. I want to close, and then we're going to take another little minute for prayer. But I want to say this. Uh, let, me, let me clarify, okay? Let's, I, want, I want to say this. I am not saying that whatever might have happened to you was okay. We're not saying that. I'm not saying that whatever someone might have said or done or not said or not done to you wasn't bad. It may very well have been bad. We're not saying that. We're not saying, and again, here... 
hear me out. I'm, I'm not saying you necessarily need to hang out with them again. All right? Look, reconciliation is, is a precious thing, and it's beautiful, and, 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 it, and it, it's, it should be a goal. But, but sometimes, sometimes reconciliation may not be able to happen. There are some situations in which that cannot be a reality, and the truth is this, forgiveness is not predicated by re- reconciliation. You can still forgive even if the relationship is not reconciled. And, and, and I'm not saying that you have to trust that person again. Sometimes our trust is violated and it, 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 it's not a wise decision to say, I trust that person again. But all of those circumstances aside, you can still say, I forgive you the debt. You don't owe me anymore. You can still wake up every morning and go to sleep every night and not think you owe me. You get past that and you let that go. And that's what it means to forgive as we've been forgiven. Jesus did that for us. He said, I forgive you no matter what you've done. And we're saying, it's okay, I forgive you too. And I really believe that's a key to us growing together in the body of Christ. So let's stand.